Welcome back to 50 Years of Fun. I'm Matt Roberts. And I'm Scott Miller. And this is the audio fanzine where we discuss the first 50 singles on Creation Records, a record label started by Alan McGee in 1983. Today we're discussing Creation 007, Biff Bang Pals, There Must Be a Better Life, backed with the Chocolate Elephant Man. The single was released in 1984 and was produced by Joe Foster. Later on, we'll be talking to Dave Evans, who is the bass player in Biff Bang Pow on this record and a number of other records. Also a member of 12 Cubic Feet, Jesse Guerin and the Desperados, and an early sound man for Jesus and Mary Chain. For those of you who have already joined up our Patreon club, we hope you have enjoyed our first Patreon persiflage. And there's more room in our club, so please join. All right. Creation number seven, 50 Years of Fun. Where do we start? Well, uh... First off, I just want to say, since we've been saying great all the time, I'm really great. gonna make I'm gonna really gonna make a big effort not to say great at all. So <laughs> at all. Uh, this is gonna be a challenge. This is gonna be a challenge <laughs> considering that this record is a tremendous it's record. Super good. It is uh, it is a tremendous record. I would say maybe top ten, top ten single in the first fifty. Yeah. Maybe I really like top it. five, maybe top five. Hmm, you know, I hadn't thought about that. There's a lot of them. I mean, I've got another Biff Bang Pow in my top five, so that might, uh, I don't know, that might sway me in that. But it's definitely the first thing where they sound, they sound like Biff Bang Pow now. You know what I mean? They sound, it's they kind of, well, like it's, it's in between. Apple. To me, it sounds like in between their kind of post TVP's mod thing, pre them getting into their loose, sort of looser sound. Um, and there's something I've this keeps coming to mind. It's so fucking corny. That is a a quantum leap from their previous <laughs> single. <laughs> okay, so where I would like to start, let's first let's, let's start break with the, the intro. Let's, let's break the ice. <laughs> Wait, we're gonna start with the intro or the artwork? Okay, I was gonna say the guitar intro. Oh, I mean the most icon, one of the most iconically janky intros in in pop music. It's hilarious. It's like it's this incredible. cool riff. But they, they they keep flubbing notes. Like it's not like it's the wrong note. It's just like a kind of a dead note, or that it doesn't quite hit it. I'm not sure who. I, I I'm guessing Andrew Innes is not on this record. I don't know. I'm we will thinking... never know. I feel like he's the secret weapon in this band, and I I will continue to give Dick Green credit for the amazingly weird guitar parts in in these songs, where there's like there's just they're they're really stylized, but they're they are awkward and totally memorable like i think it's super bold the way they start this single where they're like okay we're gonna start it with this yeah because like you would just think you would just do it over again and 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 also the fact that there's no there's not almost no it's just so bare. It's not like a bunch of reverb on it or anything. It's just this tiny dink little guitar, you know, with it's, this like, it sounds really like someone pretty was strum messing around it. in the corner and then yeah. they kept it. That's what it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. But it's, but it's so, it's become such an iconic part of the single for me. That for I sure. Love it. It was <laughs> it's like, like this not, is what I, I hate think... to bag on it. Cause that's not what I'm saying. It's just really funny. I mean, this is like what I think about, like if we had a theme song that if we, if we don't have an amazing theme song already, it would be the, this is the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it right. is just so strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. 
you know, overall, okay, so there's like there's a rhythm guitar, kind of. It's like barely audible in this. It's well, essentially the, two dueling weird leads. Yeah, that well, that's, there's only chords. There's a chord. Well, there's chords in the beginning, like over this, underneath this, like funny lead, and that's the such a rad part of this song is like right when it kicks in, that other lower lead comes in, that. I, you know, I mean, I was wondering if maybe that was Dick Green and maybe the intro was Alan. We don't, who I don't gets, know. Who gets credit for this very weird, perfect, yeah, but perfectly iconically it's, janky. Right. But then the, the lower part is incredible. It's like it's it's you don't you hear it at first, but because it's low, I think at first, maybe when I was first hearing this, I, I just like subconsciously thought it was the bass. Um, but it's not. It's it's this it's it's just and so that and that's a that's kind of a hallmark of a lot of really good creation stuff is when there's not a whole lot of rhythm guitar going on. i mean there's bands like the jazz and minx of course who rely on it and it sounds great but like it's cool there's almost no the only other chord that comes in in this song is in the middle uh, yeah it's like, it I, I hear it pop up here and there but it's really it's really like the 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 way that the bass is recorded, it is it's really it's not great. It's super uh, good. Towering and mondo, a mondo <laughs> bass sound, which is <laughs> a really and, and a major league drums. <laughs> but like the 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 rhythm section is recorded in this. I mean, I I really feel like this is where Joe. I mean, I love Joe Foster's recording across the board. I know it's funny. I think that people kind of bag on the first. Biff Bang Pow album, which this is on as well. Yeah, both songs are on it. Same and I versions. think it's mainly, and a lot of it is like people think that the recording, I've read this, that the recording, people think it's really thin, but I think it's very distinctive in that it's like the drums are huge. The drums and the bass are huge, but the bass is really uh, like loose and atmospheric, but it's kind of like holding it together. And so I think it's like the bass and the drums are so sort of like. Uh, they they really like set the stage for what are like a very loose and uh kind of floaty guitar things that are happening. Yeah, I mean I I mean I I can see what what I mean I don't think it's thin, but I mean I mean there's also the thing about the first Biff Bang Power record. I mean it's half great and then it's half good, so it's kind of down to the songs and and the production you know maybe doesn't suit them as much i mean to me joe foster's always been like what i like about it is that it pushes like we have one we have four hours to record this in a in a diy ish fashion it pushes that to the to the best possible spot right you know, like that, what can you do what with a with a kind of a cheap recording yeah yeah so that's i mean that's 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 and you know it's like and it's, it's like i mean i always throw the word kitchen sink into it but i mean this this song has it's got the backwards guitar lead well in yeah the middle it, like the break it's got normally that jank tambo comes if, back a little bit at the end if if uh if if we're going to talk about that, if we're going to jump to that backwards guitar lead, I would say normally I dislike that because it's so like we're a trippy 60s band and we're going to throw in this psychedelic trippy guitar part. But I, it really works in this because oh, it's, it's not it's, used in that way. It yeah, sounds... well, it's, not, it's not that long. And like half of it is is like Alan coming in before he you knows like going like uh, before he says love me again. And it's like super sick how that comes in again. Now, um. I will say also, there's just a lot of changes between the last Biff Bang Pow single and this Biff Bang Pow. The, the recording is maybe a, maybe a little fancier, but it seems like he's really got it down. Like there's a Joe Foster has a sound, and then uh, Alan Miggy starts singing differently. Like yeah. he yeah, kind of yeah. sings in like a baritone on this, mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot more. 
I don't know. How could I put it? Like he's, he's, um, it's kind of more eighties and it's like, uh, belting it out, like actually super emotive and kind of croony, uh, which is not what was happening on the previous record. Yeah. Cause did. he has that really nice kind of high, high, mid high voice that, that he's kind of seeming like he's learning how to use it. Um, this is like, and like lyrically, this is one of those songs that's like, it's kind of, you know, yeah, we were, I think we were talking about at, at some other time about how he has like his love songs and his sort of like angry or like bitter songs. And this song is kind of both. Oh, this because, is right in the because middle. Because it's, it's got, it's got the, 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 well, another classic. I cannot fucking understand the first line at all. I can't understand most of the lines. You I, helped I, me get I a have, couple. I have lived with this damn line. I just, I mean, I think the last word of it is succeed. And that's the only thing I can understand. But then the, the whole song. But I mean, the second word. line, what well, the second line was an empty mind, a bankrupt soul boy, the result of greed. So it's like, it's like. Well, you got like, that? Yeah, man. Nice job. You have a, you have a good, good, <laughs> I can, I can't get shit. So this, I mean, this song seems to be about like a fr- an ex, a, an old friend that you know, came up with music who's now like gone you know pro like is a who knows works at a bank whatever does something you know because it says now you think uh what is now you now you're living in the real world of pounds and pence um and all that stuff and so it's kind of just like he's just like well i'll show you you know i i'm doing i'm i'm sticking with this while you go i don't know it seems like kind of bitter and then is this is this the part is this the segment where we debate the meaning of a song where we only sort of understand the lyrics (laughs) i I think i've got this one's more straight i think this is what i think the confusing part (laughs) The first. confusing part is that is the love me part because it doesn't it's it's this big part of the song where he goes love me but it's it's not it doesn't seem to jive his lo- his it doesn't seem to jive with the rest of the lyrics it's not it's not a platonic love yeah. is that weird you don't I, think it's that or you do yeah what, what is it? so now you think you can fuck my head up but I have news for you the tables will turn and you will encounter my revenge of fate love me. good at picking up these lyrics i was like okay i got that's, that's from what... you so this is even with barely knowing anything so <laughs> you've got told... a lot more this is what i think but then at the end <laughs> it drops out again the whole last line i can't understand it again and so i'm just like it's like this half story where i don't know the whole story but uh but anyway that's that's those are the parts i can get so it definitely seems wow like okay a, a, a mad song but i don't know love me who knows what's that about you're you maybe you know as a, as a psychologist. As a psychologist. <laughs> I thought I'd let you say it. As a licensed psychotherapist, what I think what he means is, no, this is what I, okay, I barely understood any of the lyrics, so I'm going on a couple lines and tone. <laughs> so this, this is what I think. It's about the relationship that he was currently in at the time, and it's gotten to the point where it's more businessy, and it's about kind of settling down, and like, let's, Let's uh let's getting more serious and he's like, No, I'm still shooting for the stars. Don't nickel and dime me. Uh, all right. I mean I'll take it too. That's... I want I want excitement. Love me. Bankrupt soul boy though. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think that your yours has more backing. So uh, <laughs> yours is more backing in in uh, lyrical science, and so it's probably more accurate than what I came up with there. Look, I'm following the lyrical facts here. I'm um, going to start saying, uh, what what is it? Pounds and pence. What's the line again? <laughs> now you're living in the real world of pounds and pence. Okay, so that's what I'm going to start saying instead of "Don't nickel and dime me." Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Oh, one of us is living in the worlds of pounds, pounds and pence. <laughs> apparently, Scott. <laughs> so, um, what else do I have to say about this? Uh, about this uh, prodigious and fabulous single. Um, well, I think that it really gets into being. This song feels more distinctively '80s. I don't know why. Than the previous stuff. It's less throwbacky, and I think it shows up in that keyboard that shows up in the oh yeah in the, the chorus. Nice. I was wondering if Joe Foster played that. And it's not like a farfisa sound, farfisa, farfisa, whatever. Uh, it's much more of um, just like more of an '80s keyboard sound, and yeah, right, like yeah, almost teardrop explodesy or something. Yeah. and it comes the way it comes in. It kind of you don't it's not like you don't notice it at first but it's just this tone that sort of appears in in the middle or something yeah so so i right and it's it's i consulted and uh it, the the guesses i got um from help with from kelly stoltz it could be potentially a juno on the xylophone <laughs> or flute setting so <laughs> i don't have the ear for that either but we know people that do <laughs> deep dive on the keyboard sound what else is is there to be said about this song um before we get into the b-side what do you think well that's i mean no i mean that's we, we've we've talked about it for uh, probably about four times as long as the song is <laughs> i think this song is like 303 so <laughs> 10 minutes longer than the song is um I, i'm just an amazing song i just want to say tremendous towering major league mondo song here <laughs> now uh b-side not, not bad at all uh <laughs> b-side the uh a bad uh, something you do not want to trip on when you're really stoned titled chocolate elephant man okay so this song is called the chocolate elephant man and i this is something that me and matt were just talking about a, a week ago i've previously thought this i i for, we'll, we'll start off with i don't know why this song is called that after listening to the lyrics there's no i don't know why it's called that but i've always thought it was kind of a, a twee name like oh the chocolate like like some little chocolate that you get that's an <laughs> elephant right and some some man some oh the man that's selling the chocolate elephants and then talking to matt last week he's like what do you mean i'm picturing like the elephant man made of chocolate <laughs> i was like oh well, that's certainly when not I was like, twee. I don't want to think about the title. I don't want to think about the elephant man while I'm listening to this. this no. gigantic chocolate. <laughs> Matt would yeah, eat it, by the way. Don't ever think of the chocolate <laughs> elephant man. Well, uh, so, okay. So this song, also, also a really good song. Class, solid B-side.
Yeah, I mean, it's a total B-side in, in, the, in the positive sense of that, that, what that means. And it's another, it's kind of like a, it's a, from the lyrics I can make out, I mean, it's just kind of like a sad guy, right? He's, he's you know, unemployed. He's the good elephant yeah, man. He's, <laughs> he's a sad guy. He's watching his life pass by. He's like Aww. kid on the way. Jeez. And then, and then, yeah, it's it's sad. And then, it, then when it builds, it kind of goes what it goes. Uh, it goes on and on like this. Uh, his life doesn't. His life. His life seems to mean nothing. And then he says, and then it's till he burns it down. And that's the big build. Till he burns it down. Uh. And and so you know, which is it's it is very like Alan looking at like typical, you know, like a, a typical life, and be like, no, you can do better than that. I mean, it's a co- common recurring theme in the in the lyrics. You're um, a master. You're a master English lyric decoder. You should get. I can't get you, them have all. A, you have a second career. I can't get them this. all on this one. I can't get them all. Are on this you one. are you the guy behind all these websites where I can look up lyrics? I, I did listen once, just being like, "Do you hear the phrase chocolate elephant man?" Which I can tell you, I did not. Um, I'm not hearing it. <laughs> I would say the thing I think that really sticks about sticks out about this song. Uh, seeing as I never can figure out any fucking lyrics, is this song is the dead giveaway that they are into the Paisley Underground. Like there's yeah right there's right, like right, yeah. that guitar thing in the beginning or or I mean the the main sort of little guitar hook is like a straight rain parade. Yeah, and the way it just kind of like swings along is in a, is in that way of the Paisley Underground. It has that. It has that like uh, laid back California. Yeah, it's la- it's it's more laid back than it than it. It's a ballad. It's it's just laid back. That's right. And and it kind of has almost like a Mike Mills uh, backing vocal thing that it is not a standard uh, thing that I hear in a lot of. Uh, and the, stuff these are things that era. that you need that I let you point this sort of thing out to me. Because when I was listening to this, I was in such a bubble. I was like, these people, they're not listening to American music. They're only listening. I mean, how stupid can you be being like what they just came up with this sound? Like I I was, I, you know, my friend will be like, oh, this is totally like, like love. And I'm like, no, this doesn't sound like love. It's like not this song, but you know, like their influence are so American. And I just was never thinking of it in those terms because I was just rejecting American music, I think at that time and discovering UK music. and I think I and I don't know what it is, but I feel like I mean both of us clearly like like whatever the whatever English English people's take on American music a lot more than American yeah, people's take on American music. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I <laughs> like agree. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear the flesh tones. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, whatever exactly. the fuck that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, the liars. Now nah, there's some other good stuff. We can't write off America here, but no. but as far as this era, I feel like. It, it's being better we'll stop done. short of writing off America here. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we haven't even talked about the art. Okay, one art. of the one of the Ob- best looking. Obviously, singles. we're fans. Obviously, we're fans as we have used it as our something like it as our <laughs> logo. <laughs> uh, and and um, it's not supposed to resemble any art, living or dead. <laughs> We cannot confirm or deny our sources for this for this uh, artistic endeavor, but uh, it's just so simple. It's like it's yeah. like a child's kite, uh, a child a kite. It's a it's a child's boat sail on uh, you know what we can piece together as water. Yeah, and completely the name. simple. 
Uh, and you know, Luke Hayes is still. We this have a, a lot uh, of chromatone design. Is the did the cover on this one? Uh, ch great job not saying chromatome this time. I know we were saying chromatome. <laughs> and Horribly I... embarrassing. <laughs> We both did it, but also, uh, but Luke Hayes has been kind of a mystery in our, in our search here. He's like been, we've gotten a, a lot of people have gotten in touch with us since we started this and he is nowhere to be found. Yeah. Come uh, on. Luke. Member of Revolving Paint Dream did art on all of these early singles, designed that label artwork. It's great. We've talked this single to death, but I feel like it's an important single in this catalog. So there. Uh, it deserves a lot of talking. And, uh, but then we got to take a break. We have a, uh, we have a great interview coming up. So let's take a break and we'll be back in, uh, in a second to talk about our guest. All right. Great. <laughs> There's something completely new about Andrix. It's still just as strong and just as long. But now... Andrix is softer than it's ever been before. So much softer. You can feel it. Andrix, softer than ever. Alright, we're back. In just a moment, we'll be talking to Dave Evans, bass player on multiple Biff Bang Power Records, sound guy, extraordinaire, and very pleasant gent all around. Cool. Hey, Matt, will you get that? Uh, sure. Oh, look who it is. Dave Evans, welcome to 50 Years of Fun. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited about this. That's great. <laughs> so are we. We're very excited to talk to you. Um, so the way we, the way we start all of these, uh, interviews is just to ask a, can you paint us a picture of the time around when this single was recorded? Uh, mm, yeah. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. So it was like early, early eighties, 84, late 84, I think possibly, um, 84. I think was it released in early, early 85. Yeah. So um i was working for the london borough of Ealing as a um a computer operator at the time and i think alan was um still working for the Brit british rail as a clerk or something or other you know i was living with simon down um sharing a flat with him and i think well, no, possibly that possibly that finished actually. But um, I used to, but I used to do that, and I, I think I moved in with um, Paul and Fred from Twelve Cubic Feet into our um, place in Peckham, which I had for fourteen years after that. So, um, but we used to we used to always go up to Alan's place and sort of drink Merry Down Cider, which is extra strong, and um, <laughs> spend all night listening to records and chatting about rubbish. So, and eventually, you know, like with 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 the uh, with the living room club and earning some money, Alan started the label. Um, put a few, started putting a few records out. So, it was. And did you? Yeah, was, and you did you had you met him uh, when you were in Twelve Cubic Feet? Just to just was I, I met him before played. then actually I think uh, because. Um, yeah, Ken and Dick are from Boston, and uh, I, w I was in Boston for a while as well in, in the 70s. Um, I was actually in the same year at school as Ken, 
Ken Popple, and Dick, wow. Dick Green was in the year uh, below me. Um, I didn't know Dick. I did know Ken, but I I hate absolutely hated that school. I thought and you were going to say you absolutely hated Ken. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I didn't really have any opinion about Ken at the time, you know, like, but because he wasn't in my class, he was a different one. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I hated that school. They hated me. I didn't make any friends there at all. It wasn't until I left I, started, I made friends. Um, I moved down to London. You know, listened to John Peel. Uh, heard the Laughing Apple on John Peel. So I found out they were playing in in Brixton. This is in 1981, I think, so. Um, okay. Found out they were playing in Brixton, so I was decided to go and see them. And then Simon Down, who's a, you know, a friend, also from Boston, or not wow. actually, but Hot he bed. called me up and said, um, oh, the Laughing Apple, you know, they, they've got featuring Ken Popple and Dick Green from Boston. So, oh, really? I, you know, so I didn't even know that. So I went along and sort of, I knew Ken already, you know, brief, vaguely, you know, so recognise them from school. And, yeah, so chatted the whole band. I think there was some guy from Sunderland playing guitar or something as well, but I, I think the band sort of folded fairly soon after. Stayed the night at the, probably some somebody's squat in Clapham, I think it was, and, like, that's how I got to know Alan. So... And is um, this then? Is this a, this is the first Biff Bang Pal thing that you're on? Is that right? You're not on the first. Uh, I I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know about Fifty Years of Fun. Can't remember. I, I, from <laughs> from from the research I've done, it appears, but it's unclear that Joe Foster played bass on that single. Right. Um, and so I and I guess we're maybe jumping ahead, but I'm 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 curious if. How so? So you know him. You're you're in twelve cubic feet, which we'll ask about. Yep. And then you meet, and then you meet these guys, uh, and you're already sort of know some of them. And then, how do you enter the band? Uh, yeah, oh, I don't know. It's like um, osmosis, I guess. So, yeah. I'm not, you're just around. Yeah. So it's people people you know. You know, like I because um, I played bass in twelve cubic feet before swapping to guitar. Um, so. Obviously, you know, people knew I could play bass. So Alan wanted to play guitar. I mean, he he played bass in in the Laughing Apple, so he wanted to play guitar. So you know, he wanted to. I don't know. If, I don't. I, yeah, when you say Joe Foster played bass on Fifty Years of Fun, I mean Alan was a bass player and Joe Joe was a guitarist. So I don't know how. The I, I mean, I could I could be wrong. I'm what, I, we we have yet to get uh, an angry correction from somebody, but I'm sure it's going to happen <laughs> soon. Yeah, <laughs> if anybody remembers, you know. So yeah, so so yeah, so yeah, we used to go around Alan's house. All that, I mean, this is before the single like in the in the early days, sort of um, before creation even got started. You know, I I remember you know. Um, you're talking to the legend about it as well. You know, we, we used to used to go around Alan's house, as I say, drink Mary down cider, play records all night, and talk rubbish. You know, so all you know about bands and stuff and songs and everything. So, you know. And and, then, and was Twelve Cubic Feet your first band, the first band you um, ever played I had in? A, I had a rubbish band back in Boston, um, called Flat Rabbit. And did Flat Rabbit ever record? <laughs> No, no. <laughs> like flat, <laughs> and, and was uh, like flat rabbit, as in just run over by a car. Yep. 
Because there are plenty of them around in around the around the flattened fields of Lincolnshire. There's you know loads of flattened rabbits as well. So, uh, so so you you moved to London. You're playing in in twelve cubic feet, and uh, but and you joined uh, after that ten inch was recorded, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently there's a demo that Joe Foster recorded around this period. Uh, what for twelve cubic feet? Yeah, apparently, yeah. yes. This is according mm, to an ancient blog post that we've unearthed. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it, we want it. We we want to find that. I really that ten inch is great. So I, I'm I'm curious about it. Um, we went. We went to. Uh, we were in, we were in a studio in Surbiton after that to to um, record well a whole LPs worth of stuff and that's that's never come out. That's uh, on some cassette. Paul's got the master tapes. I think well, maybe one day they'll they'll appear. And yeah, then there was so. another time that we went to some studio in Hackney to do another couple of songs. Was uh, I don't know. Um, I don't remember Joe Joe being involved though. Um, Possibly, but I don't remember. So, and so was it around the time of this single. Was Biff Bang Pow starting to be like an active, actively playing band, like out playing gigs a lot? Um, I wouldn't say a lot, but yeah, we 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 did some, yeah. And and since the 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 label is really really young, what kind of bands were you playing with uh, at these shows? Do you remember? Uh, Oh, all the all the, local, all the indie bands. I've just been reading some stuff about Five Go Down to the Sea earlier on today, actually. So they were on the scene. So um, the Loft, uh, the Pastels, or TV personalities, uh, Barracudas. Um, who else? Yeah, um, Nightingales. They were perennial favourites. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, right, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. reading reading the communication floor magazines. They love. They rave about the Nightingales a lot. Yeah, I've still got to watch that program about them actually so uh, do you know about that one uh, yeah I, I really want to see it but it's not uh i mean i don't i don't know if i could even find it here uh in the u.s so I'm, yeah. i need to dig around to find out a way to see it yeah it's on sky arts here so um i've recorded it i haven't watched it yet so, so. maybe uh maybe a uh someone from our fan base will uh <laughs> hook, will, will hook us up we'll, see, we'll, we'll see. sit there with, a, with their camera like <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, ain't gonna be me (laughs) (laughs) and the the i know so if if this is the first single you played on one thing we've noticed is it's a big leap in uh sound and recording from the previous single and um do what do you have any memories of the recording process um i assume it's going to be at alaska studios because almost everything was recorded there so um, with all the Biff Bang Pow stuff, um, we basically went in and played it live. 
and which is a remarkable achievement really because we never hardly ever rehearsed and we had we didn't have that many gigs um but it was you know it, it most of it sounded pretty good when we came out um and we you know just go in play it a few times record it a few times you know two or three takes and that and that was that was good and some of the things I remember, like we, you know, me and Ken and Dick will be in there, sort of recording stuff. And Joe, Joe played uh, sort of harmonica on some things as well. And Andrew Winnis was there sometimes as well. Um, you know, and Alan would be around the corner in the Fishkatet restaurant writing the lyrics, finishing off the lyrics. So, but uh, Andy, all right, quick, come in, yeah. start singing. Just, you know, this is one line stuck. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's there's just a big leap both in uh songwriting and record and but in the production as well. And so um yeah. I guess I'm you know, I'm it's, it's to be a better quality studio, certainly the one that the legend was in anyway, so I think so. It sounds more like a <laughs> yeah. band too. It sounds like people who have played the song like before going in to record it. Not like the first one doesn't, but there's a little bit of a CD or pants version or yeah. quality about the first single, I think. Yeah. We used to rehearse in Alan's spare room, which is um, something like eight foot by eight foot or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the neighbors thought. <laughs> and hmm. I got the the sense uh, from Ken that even though you were playing shows, this was not a band that was like practicing regularly. I mean, it's sort of, I get the sense from him, it's, it's he just would get the call and yeah. be ready. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like, yeah, we've got, got a gig next week. Let's do a practice to, the day before or something or other. And, um, yeah, and yeah, that'll do, you know. And it's usually fine because, I mean, gigs, because, you know, audiences hardly ever notice mistakes and, you know, and, and unless That's it's, a, you know, a massive one, you know. Like, yeah, if know. you record it and listen to it about later, you, do, like, you wince and go, like, you know. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do the band thing where you look at each other when you make a mistake and then no one else will know. <laughs> ah, oh, well, yeah, yeah. When I was, when I was playing with the Mary Chain, Jesus and Mary Chain, whenever Douglas made a mistake on the bass, he, he used to turn around and face his amp. So like, even if you hadn't heard it, you'd know he'd made a mistake, you know. <laughs> So you you were, ended up being in the band pretty much the the whole time through most of the records. Is that correct? I'm not on uh, Beat Hotel much actually. I'm on Love's Going Out of Fashion, and I must have been away because uh, yeah, I'm not on I'm not on any of the others. And you can tell actually if you listen to it, the bass sound is different for for, for you know for, um, between the yeah the first song and the rest of them. So. Yeah, I mean something something we've learned from a lot of these creation records is I had that I'd never really noticed before is there's not a lot of a lot of times the band members aren't listed so we're just like what does what do yeah these that was play on? yeah we, we, we with Biff Bang Power we, we made the decision not not to list the names interesting yeah I, um, I, was, I was like whoa is Oblivion the first one that actually says who plays on it which is interesting yeah yeah and that was. It's sort of uh, and sort of I don't know an anti ego stance or something or other. It's right. the music I mean, that I, counts. Yeah, I mean, I we I always wondered about Biff Bang Pow just because it was Alan's band. If it was like sort of purposely tried to be like I don't know what, like not focus yeah. on him or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's probably some of that in there. You know, um, he had a big enough ego anyway. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, both of us just love those those records so much, and they don't they don't get a lot of credit. And and I I don't know, it doesn't sound like he cares about it too much. Um, what did you think about the band? I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I've always loved playing live. Um, um, 
I never got nervous, um, even though you know we didn't practice much. And so I, I remember sometimes like being on stage, and like the next song would just about to start. I said, "Dick, how does this one go again?" G D E. Oh, okay. No, pick it up. Like, I wonder how the chorus goes. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> Probably here. <laughs> yeah, of course, and of course, it's like that. You know. <laughs> You're playing in the band, and then uh, how did you end up doing sound for Jesus and Mary Jane? Um, because at the at the first of all the communication club, and then at the living room, um, I guess I was the only one technically minded and who was interested in that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at the communication club, um, that lost money, and one of the I think there's about half a dozen of those shows, I think, and that lost money. And one of the major reasons for I don't know if the whole cost anything, but Alan hired a PA, and that certainly mm, yeah. cost money. Okay, but yeah, that yeah. was a, my first sort of experience of sort of um, sort of trying to find out how how all this sort of stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, although it wasn't, don't don't think I did any sound for on the on the at the communication club but when the living room started you know we just had a vocal pa and some mics and i was the one i had a van as well i i was i i was the one who like picked up people picked up the pa took them to the stuff you know we, we all <laughs> every band, every band needs that member <laughs> yeah and um and i even recorded stuff on a cassette you know if there was if there was one there as well so um so you know i was the one that set it up so and try to stop the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, that here's didn't the Jesus work out too Jane. well with Jesus and Mary Jane. <laughs> the, the voc- vocal feedback, you know, guitar yeah. feedback's fine. Vocal feedback's awful. Yeah, you don't want that. So, yeah. So I sort of fell into that. Yeah. And you were so you were kind of a you were into technical stuff. Where do did you did you study it? Were you like a sound guy? Nope. Nope. Yeah. So when we first. Um, when the Mary Jane first got got uh, big enough to sort of support Alan and me, because we you know we both quit our jobs. I think we went on the um, the enterprise allowance scheme or something or other. So, which at the time, if you had a thousand pounds sort of collateral, the government would give you forty quid a week to sort of for a year to you know be self-employed, do what you do. So, um, I became the sandman, stroke driver, stroke dog's body, stroke anything else that needed doing and and Alan was, was the manager I remember the first gig first tour we did you know um uh sort of in charge of this big desk you know sort of like oh it's a really really steep learning curve you know it's yeah, like, yeah. like you put your headphones on and twiddle the knobs like oh that does that you know like, <laughs> <laughs> wow and then the band Sometimes. starts and it all falls apart <laughs> And you did that for you did uh, sound driving all that kind of stuff for quite a long time. Is that right? I did that f- for them for a year. Okay. And then um, they sacked me, and then Alan shortly after um, because what? they wanted to change direction and go more more pop and lose the you know sort of yeah sort of get hits basically I think so so um, I carried on doing what I was doing um, and. Um, sound engineering and also i started doing uh tour managing as well mainly for the shop assistants in that year this is probably 1986 i think um and a, a few other bands as well and anybody who wanted to, <laughs> wanted to, because 
yeah, the year before when I was doing, when I was still the Sandman for the Merry Chain, you know, they, they always picked the bands that they wanted to support them. And Shop Assistants were one of them. And so I oh, thought goodness. I liked them, they liked me. So that was a natural fit to work together. And a few other people as well, you know. Was was this around the time that did you record uh, a few Jesse Guerin the Desperados records around the around that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Douglas did some, and then yeah, there was and and, the, and the, their first LP was uh, was for the first few singles, and that's some more tracks, more songs. Oh yeah, uh, right, and I good. yeah I produced those, and then did another EP. I produced that. I really love that EP actually, whatever it's called. <laughs> Was recording band something that you wanted to do, or something that and something that you enjoyed, or sort of planned on yes, doing? Yes, it was. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm on the I'm on the um, on on the, on the second Jesse Garren single LP, Nixon. I, oh, you actually, played on it. Yeah, I joined the band by then. So yeah. And then, but they were uh, an Edinburgh band, right? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So were you at that point still living in in London and traveling up there? Or did you move? Yeah, no, I was still living in London, you know, and sometimes sometimes I'd go up there for a month or whatever, yeah. And was there a period where you were in both Biff Bang Pow and Jesse Guerin at the same time? Um, <laughs> I don't know, actually. Possibly, <laughs> possibly not. I'm, now I'm we're not testing sure. your memory. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because it's all it's all it's all very loose. Yeah, so I mean, as I said, you know, like the second. Uh, Biff Bang Powell P. I'm only on one song, but the third one, Oblivion, is that the third one? Yeah, yeah that's my favourite one that's because great. I had a lot to do with that. <laughs> because we, we booked out Alaska for a week, we went in for two days to record the songs, and then Alan said, um, oh, "The Primals need to record a single. That I'm going to give them Wednesday." So like, <laughs> oh, and then and then we went in, and then on the Thursday and Friday we we mixed them and. Um, <clears throat> With, with Rick, people always start late doing these things, you know, like yeah, you say, course. yeah, I'll see you at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, uh -huh. No, no, it's more like four It's the most unnatural up. time for a band to do anything. Absolutely. But I did get it. On the Thursday <laughs> and the Friday, I wanted to get in at 10 o'clock. So me and Noel, the, the, um, the, sound, uh, the you know, recording engineer, it was basically me and him all morning until the band came in and said, look, I've done, I've produced these. And then, so Joe, would, see, and then Joe okay. would come in and say, more reverb. I yeah, said, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah. Turn the tambourine up. <laughs> yeah. And like, basically leave it as it is, you know, because, you know, that I'm, I'm really proud of that record because that, that's mine. I did that, you know, so. Oh, great. Yeah. And, and that does feel like the most. It's the I most mean, focused. The, Bang Power it's the most focused and cohesive. Sounds like a band album. That yeah. one. Mm -hmm. So the first and also record. Did some, I also did some wicked backing vocals on it. <laughs> Um, so, so let's take a, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and, uh, ask you a few more questions. Sound okay. good? Yeah. I drink lots of coffee. Love it. And I think coffee tastes nicer with coffee, mate. 
smoother. Give it a whirl. Mmm, that's my kind of coffee. Coffee tastes nicer with Coffee Maid. Give it a whirl. Okay, welcome back. We are back with Dave Evans of Biff Bang Pow. I think both of us probably uh, in the early 2000s, both of us uh, got pretty obsessed with the DIY scene stuff, like 12 Cubic Feet, and I bought that record and all kinds yeah. of stuff like that. But to me, that sounds like I think of that scene as so disconnected from the creation scene, and it's really cool to hear that actually, no, it's like there's a complete overlap to the – like that these bands coexisted almost or were right, you know, played the same shows. Well, 12 Cubic Feet um, played the first night at the living room. That is so wild to me. And I I don't think I knew that. Yeah. It was 12 Cubic Feet, then The Legend, and then TV Personalities. Wow. And the the Communication Club was, where was that? Was that, that wasn't the same place. That was a different spot. It was in two places. The first one was the Adam's Arm. Uh, Oh, sorry. Communication Club was um, in Camden. What did I just say? I can't remember now. The Communication Club was in Camden. That's the one that had um, uh, about six shows. And um, 12 Cubic Feet played that as well, along with some other people like okay. um, Go Betweens played it. Um, who's wow. the, what's, what's the fellow? Tony Fletcher's band. Um, they played it. Oh, like, the, now the, now um, I am going blank, and I know. Um, it starts with an A. It starts with an A. Yeah, it does start with an A, doesn't it? I, I'll, I, I'll, I'll I'll overdub me saying it as if we're. This is going to be a great overdub. Like we, we, all, we all remember it at once. Apocalypse. Yeah, sorry, I'll take Tony. different. I'll, I'll take different uh, syllables of you talking from other parts and put it together into you saying that. So it good sounds idea, perfect. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember. I heard him saying that he was. He, he couldn't remember if he played. If he had played that, he did. And I've got a picture of him. Ah. So the. Toward the end of the interviews, we've been asking people these uh, set of questions. Yep. Um, and uh, so first off, um, what's the thing that you've played on that you feel the most proud of? Um, <clears throat> oh, I should have. Yeah, I knew this was coming, and I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> I like. That, I, I like that you. I like that you did it. That's great. It's more fun um, if we catch you off guard. Possibly only uh, the only color in the world is love. Um, because it's such a fantastic song. Um, mm. And I remember um, we, we had Andrew Innes in the studio and he bought his uh, sort of fuzz tone, f- fuzzy wah pedal, and I'd also bought mine. And we plugged them into, we plugged them together. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like, it's like super fuzz. <laughs> and also like that, that was on the album that I, I produced, you know. So yeah, the um, um, as well. You'll never be that young again. That EP from Jesse Garan and Desperados. That is yeah, um, absolutely beautiful. I'm really, really proud. Of, I, I had a hand in that. Next question: um, favorite creation single that you had nothing to do with, and why? Um, oh, okay. I, I know. I know the album. I know the album. The album is isn't everything and isn't anything. Is okay. it the, so okay? So that so your favorite album is isn't anything. Yeah. Um, which was you know a big, another if kind of going through the sound of creation. That's a big leap in in change of sound when that yeah. comes out. Yeah. Um, can you 
were you you I mean I imagine you were probably watching that band throughout all of their changes. Um do you remember that like when they sort of were changing their sound toward that and what did you think about it? Um <clears throat> I wasn't that closely involved with them actually. Um I did go to a party at the drummer drummer's house once. Um Great drummer. And uh, Colm, and there were some little little cakes on the table. Uh, oh, I'm quite hungry. I'll have one of those. Oh, that's really nice. Uh-uh. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's a good job I stopped on too, because, like, <laughs> man, they were loaded. So that's the secret to the sound. Yes. Yeah. And they were also the loudest band I ever saw or heard. And going and and going back, what we didn't really ask you about is so well when you were doing you were doing sound for the Jesus and Mary Chain during the extreme period of the guitar sound. How did you how did you deal with that? How did you even figure it out? <laughs> that yeah, that was that was challenging as well because that's part uh, that was part of the learning curve. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah I guess judging they, judging from the legend of those shows, you had about ten minutes to figure it out before everything was knocked over. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Oh, well, hang on, I just got the mix right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, it's exciting times, absolutely fantastic. Because they 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 were, they were again they were totally different to anybody else was doing. You know, at the time, it was just a game changer. One of those bands, you know. I imagine half of your job would be dealing with the club. And uh, telling that it's supposed to sound like that. Yeah. Um, well, if you're the sound guy, you know, you take control. So yeah. <laughs> just plug it all in and I'll mix it. So Okay. All yeah. right. I've got, uh, of course, one... we have one. We, I do have one question, yeah. but we have to, we, 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 we sometimes forget to ask. Do you, can you tell us anything about the Formica tops, Andrew? In this <laughs> oh, the Formica tops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, the top secret band. <laughs> they're driving us crazy <laughs> yeah uh andrew and luke basically I yeah think, isn't right it? that's yeah, what, so. that's, what, that's the, according to communication blur yeah i think um no i don't know if it's the full micro tops but i've got a pictures i've got pictures of them and alan playing um at a place in, called the africa center in covent garden um I'm not sure if Biff Bang Pow played. Don't remember. I'm not or who else, but that could have been the four microtops. <laughs> this all this all started from me seeing uh, an, a small blur written by Alan back at the, at the time saying that 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 was an upcoming creation single, but it was for my top. So yeah, yeah. An extra interested to see what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so you were taking pictures throughout, you were taking a lot of pictures in this time. I mean, for yeah. those who, for those who are listening, if you haven't seen them, we will share it. There is, um, is it beyond the looking inside the looking glass it was, uh, is a blog. Indie uh, through the looking glass. Indie yeah, through the looking glass. glass. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's this amazing tour diary that you, uh, posted on the blog that has these amazing photos of this European tour, uh, Biff Pink Pow, Jasmine Minx and, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. Um, and they're amazing. Do you have a whole bunch of other photos too, from this era that you haven't put anywhere? Uh, yeah, that, there's a, there's a bunch on my Facebook page. Okay, which we'll, you can we'll, get to from that blog. Okay, okay. so we'll, uh, we'll we'll include a link to the blog, which they'll then go back and people can find some of those pictures. Yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah, if you have any more, we'll be really excited to see them. They're I, I, really fun. Something for us. about about that those pictures too. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's no pictures of Biff Bang Pow playing. I've almost never seen a like Biff Bang Pow is like a mythical band to me. Like the, I can't even picture a video emerging of of a show or something. Mm. It just doesn't seem like a real band. Not a real band, but just like a mystery band to me. Yeah, and there's, no, um, there's like because, all the other bands. Yeah, because I was on stage. So. Yeah, you're playing, so no one else is taking pictures. Right? <laughs> Selfies hadn't been invented. You're like yet. now, you take a selfie. I was gonna say. Yeah, I'm gonna put uh, it on I... timer. Run back on the stage. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. And yeah. uh, do you, there, are, is, do you, uh... there are actually a couple. I think when we played in uh, the end of that um, tour, the um, Creation Package tour, the last gig was in uh, Rams or Reams, if you can't pronounce okay, yeah. uh-huh. Rams, right. yeah. <laughs> which is uh, JC Bruchard put on, and he okay. took a couple of pictures. So um, I'm not sure if one of those, or maybe both of those, on Indie Through the Looking Glass, or if I copied one it's on my Facebook okay. page. Okay. But there is that, yeah. Because it rare. I think that's the only one I've seen of me playing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we'll. I'll. I'll have to find that. And I'm glad that uh, JC Bruchard came up finally. Uh, came up finally in the interview. Um, yeah. Another legendary connection to the band, and I didn't realize he's he's listed on not. On, on almost every single Biff Bang Pow album and single, like <laughs> yeah, e- even on the first album, he's thanked, and it's I think it's dedicated to him, which is yeah, the whole world is turning for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so silly. <laughs> I, I, I just so imagined this at the time. Yes. I was like, who yeah. is this guy? I love it. <laughs> in fact, is... yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll have him. We'll have him on eventually. Well, uh, it's been lovely, lovely talking to you, and we really appreciate you taking some time. Yeah, I just, I just, I just thought of my favorite single as well. Oh right. yeah, we want to hear this it. part. We, yeah, Velocity, we want to hear it. Velocity Go. Oh, okay. Oh, Excellent. of course. Yes, yeah. amazing. Yeah, those. Short, uh, the early Primal Scream stuff. I, I like a lot, all of it, but the early stuff is just the best. Those, those so two much. singles are fantastic. Yeah. 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 And another podcast, I, I can tell you my Primal Scream stories. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, we will. We 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 would love to hear those. I I mean, if you have a primal scream story right now, we'd like to hear it. Okay, um, go we for were it. To- we we're on on tour with uh, Pot Will Eat Itself. They were supporting. We we're still well, still at the stage where they were sleeping on people's floors. Um, right, right. I've got friends who come from Middlesbrough. Um, a good friend Charlie, who's went on to manage Suede. Um, he comes from Middlesbrough, and so sort of, we sometimes stayed there when we were with the shop assistants. So when Primus came past, we were able to stay there as well. You know, it was near them. So I stayed up half the night, um, lighting Graham from properly to sell farts. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it finally came to sort of turn in, we had a spare bed. There was a spare bed with two double mattresses on. There's six people in Primals. There's four people in Pop Will Eat Yourself. There's a couple of drivers and whoever else. And so at least a dozen people to fit on two mattresses. Doesn't work. <laughs> no. Everybody piles on and one rolls off. And they get up, walk around, <laughs> jump on the other end. Everybody rolls down. One, this went on for about two hours. <laughs> I love uh, the thought that's... of these two bands on tour. That is that is really good. Yeah. <laughs>
one more time for you You tell me things You know I can't believe you one more time Cause I'm mesmerized by yeah, yeah, they, they were they were a laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, great, great. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks so much, David. So it's been lovely speaking with you. Yeah, and um, yeah, just great. Thanks so much for helping us put this story together. Super fun. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for keeping the faith. All right, thanks for listening. If you want to send us a chocolate elephant man. For Micah Tops demos, or maybe you played in one of these bands and want to talk to us, you can find us at 50yearspod at gmail.com. That's F-I-F-T-Y spelled out. We're also semi-active on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. But don't forget about that Patreon. If you want to listen to all of creation number seven, please check the notes. Whenever possible, we'll include lots of cool stuff in there. Next episode, we'll be talking about creation 008, Jasmine Minx, Where the Traffic Goes, back with Mr. Magic, with guests Martin Kina and hopefully Tom Reed. Tom has been a little bit hard to nail down, but we think we've got him on the spot. So this will be our first uh, interview with two members of a band. The, the Multiplayer game. Rhythm section of the Jasmine Minx. Um, so thanks to the Reds, Pinks, and Purples for our theme music. Check out their new record. It's available to pre-order. See you later. Bye.